the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the Gospel of John, and I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 1, and I'm going to read, starting at verse 19, I'm going to read through the end of chapter 1, and let's remember that this is God's Word as we read this. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ, And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they'd been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophets, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen this and borne witness that he is, that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? 
He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip told him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. I remember a moment from uh, when I was in fourth grade and I was reading a book that was so vivid. The moment was so vivid that it has stuck with me to this day, to this very day. I was uh, was reading a book and the author was describing a forest glen where the the characters and the story were. And and as I was reading there, I had this, I mean, it was this really odd moment where instead of seeing my family's living room where I was sitting, I saw... Uh, leaves, and I saw the characters, and I could not even anymore see the text of the book that I was reading because I'd been so absorbed in the story that I felt for just a moment as if I were in the place, in the forest that was being described in this particular story. And I actually jumped when that happened, and all of a sudden I was no longer in rural Appalachia. I was again in Brookfield, Wisconsin, in my parents' house. But there was this moment where I felt like I had been so drawn into the story that I could actually see everything that was happening. And in a lot of ways, this is the goal of reading the Bible. Now, you might find yourselves looking and, and, and see that you don't actually see physically in front of you the Jordan River with John the Baptist in disputation with all of the different uh, religious leaders who were all around him. It may be that you don't look down and actually see the dust of the road as Jesus is walking on it where people are beginning to whisper to each other and then run off and run back bringing a friend so they have the opportunity to just meet this rabbi, meet Jesus. It may be that you don't see in that sort of way. It's not like you're all of a sudden transported, but as you're reading, you should try to see yourself inside the story. It's wonderful to read the scripture and to find that you are in the story as well. Now, I want to be clear about what I mean. Sometimes the tendency is to read the Bible and to find ourselves or to read ourselves in as the hero of any given story, as the, as like the one that's winning in any given story. The tendency is to read the story of you know, David and Goliath and to read yourself as David being the one to win the victory for Israel. I mean, I don't think anybody's ever read that and been like, I really see myself in Goliath. You know, I read that and I just, I just am like, uh-oh. Oh, this guy's about to defeat me with a stone from a slingshot. It's not the tendency to read yourself as Goliath in the story. I remember talking about that with a group of people in a workshop at the Charles Simeon Trust. And the workshop leader said something that has stuck with me. He goes, yeah, it's important that we don't read ourselves as the one that's going to do the saving in the story. He's like, but you know, we are in the story, right? 
We are in that story. We're the Israelites watching the Savior King slay the giant. And we get to get up and join him in defeating and the conquest of all of his enemies and ours. I think that he was right. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukemai. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. We pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The beautiful thing about finding yourselves in the scriptures, if you find yourself in the Bible as you're reading, is that you get to meet Jesus. Jesus is there from the very beginning, and he's there at the very end, and on every page you're able to meet Jesus, the Savior of the world and deny yourself and take up your cross and follow after him in obedience and love. And as we've read the scripture this morning, I, uh, I just it would encourage you to see yourself in the story. There are so many characters in this story. I would invite you to see which one you might be like, to read and see how you might be in this particular narrative, in this story. So many ways in this passage of scripture that people interact with the Lord Jesus. And maybe you see if you relate to yourself in one of these ways. And one piece of advice, as you read the scriptures, uh, you're, not, you're not ever Jesus. If you find yourself in the, in the Bible and you're like, yeah, that's me, that's uh, the Jesus character, that's the one I'm you know, most like, you're probably doing it wrong. Like if you read John chapter one and you're like, yeah, well, what I take away from this is people should run away, tell all their friends about me, and then come meet me and just look at me. If that's the way that you read this section of scripture, just in love, you read it wrong, okay? So you're gonna have to find yourself in another place other than the one that people are looking at. You have the chance to meet Jesus in this text. You're... You're not him. You're not the one doing the saving. And we're going to get to more of that later. But with that in place, let's look at the different characters in this section of scripture. The first characters are the priests and the Levites that are sent from the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. They're the first ones to speak in this passage. John had developed quite a following by this point. He had developed several followers who were drawn to his message to the, point, to the point where he had attracted attention now from the religious elites in Jerusalem. And so those elites sent some of the priests and some of the Levites to ask John a simple question. Who are you? And there's something behind this question. They're not just asking like, in, they're not just trying to meet him and be like, oh, who are, who are you? It's not like they're pretending like they just happened to run into him and they're like, oh, hey, you know, I'm a Levite. Who, who are you? No, there's something behind the question that they're trying to ask. There's, there's, uh, there's something important in the ministry of John and they are assuming that this might be, this might be the Christ that they've been waiting for, this, this Messiah in Hebrew and in Greek, Christ. And John realizes what their question is all about. And he responds and he says, who am I? Well, I am not the Christ. He knows what they're sort of shooting at. And so the priests and the Levites keep asking questions about the same sorts of things. And each one of their questions sort of gets at the fact that they're thinking, well, we might be in these last days. These, these questions are freighted with kind of end times weight here. They ask, well, are you Elijah? 
God had promised through Malachi, his prophet Malachi, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and deadly day of the Lord comes. You see, the, the Christ was going to be coming to the earth at the end, and, uh, and you're not the Christ, you're saying, so are you the one that is going to testify before that great and terrible day of the Lord comes? Are you that Elijah? And John says, no. And so then they're like, well, are you the prophet then? The promise of a prophet like Moses, who would speak the words of God, is given in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 18. And it was very early in the life of Israel taken to refer to a special end times figure. And again, John says, no, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. And then they're like, well, who are you? And so he says, well, I'm the the voice that's crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Who are you, they ask. And then they ask, and why are you baptizing if you're not anybody important? They're asking, what's authority? What authority do you have to do this sort of baptizing if you're not anybody important? Who are you and why are you doing this if you're not a person of authority? The Bible doesn't tell us exactly why all of these religious leaders were pumping John for information. It may be that they genuinely believe that this might be the beginning of the end. It may be that he was ushering in these last days and they wanted to be prepared for it. It may be that they wanted to be a part of the next big religious trend in Jerusalem, but from the way that the religious leaders act throughout the gospel of John, throughout the rest of the gospels, and because of the nature of their question, you know, why are you baptizing then if you're not anybody important? That's sort of what the question is. It seems as though they were nervous about the authority that he was seeming to gain for himself. By what authority are you baptizing? Get off our turf, John the Baptist. Why are you pointing to somebody other than the, the establishment in Jerusalem? Now, as you read this part of scripture, is that you? Maybe quick to run to the next trend, maybe even skeptical of those who are pointing people to Jesus, nervous, maybe about the loss of your own authority. Follow Jesus. But we have all these procedures and rules of order. Jesus calls us to this. Well, that's not the way that we do things as a family. That's not the way that I was raised. Is that you? Or maybe... Maybe you're like John, John the Baptist. And John is an amazing character in John chapter 1. John the Baptist is amazing. John the Baptist, he's sometimes referred to by the Reformed and especially Presbyterians as John the Baptizer. I uh, remember going to seminary and one of my seminary professors was talking about John and he was like, John the Baptizer. And I remember asking him, I was like, why do you keep calling him John the Baptizer? And he's like, because he wasn't a Baptist, Derek. He would have been a Presbyterian. He wouldn't have been a Baptist. That is some reformed humor for all of you right there for free. And uh, I still call him John the Baptist. I hope that's okay with all of us. John the Baptist is coming and he's doing this ministry, this mission, and he's gathered all of these people to himself and he demonstrates how great his ministry was and how he responds to the priests and the Levites. He says, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. This is an incredibly important thing for every Christian to be able to say, I am not the Christ. You see, you're not the one that can accomplish your own salvation. You're not the one who can save others. You're not the one who deserves praise or worship. I am not the Christ. This should be the affirmation of every single Christian. I am not Jesus, but I'm happy to tell you about him. 
So if John's not the Christ, if he's not the Messiah, if he's not the one that the people of Israel had been expecting and longing for, who is he? Well, he says, you know what? I am of such little consequence that I am just a voice. I'm not even something that you should be looking at or seeing. I am somebody who's just declaring, make way. He's saying, I'm the one who's preparing the road for the Messiah, the one that you are waiting for. I'm the one preparing the road for him to walk down. I'm just a voice to point people to the Messiah. I'm just a voice to tell you to look at Jesus. Look, not at me, but at the Lamb of God. Now, after having kids, I've come to realize that what is natural is to say, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And to only say, look at my brother when your brother's going to do something that's getting him in trouble. And you know that he's going to get in trouble if you look at the brother at that particular time. It's not natural. It's not natural from the time that children are very little to say, look at someone else. But the natural thing is to say, look at me. Your tendency, my tendency, through words or actions or social media presence will be to say, look at me not look at Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit had revealed to John the Baptist who who Jesus was. The Holy Spirit had revealed to John from the time that John was in his mother's womb who Jesus was because when Mary came pregnant with Jesus to be near her relative Elizabeth, John in the womb of Elizabeth leapt for joy because God had revealed that he was in the presence of God, of the God-man. And then John testifies that when he saw Jesus, he saw the spirit descending like a dove and he knew that means that this is the one that we've been hoping for. This is the Messiah. This is, to use the Greek term, this is the Christ. And John says, that's the son of God right there. Look at him, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the son of God right there. And I just have to say for a moment, this is one of those things that helps me to know, helps me to believe and understand who Jesus is. If you claimed to be God or to be God's son, the people who would least believe it would be your family. Now remember, John is the cousin of Jesus and John testifies to who Jesus is. If I ran into one of my cousins in a public place and people around my cousin were like, I think that's the son of God right there. I'd be like, no, that's my cousin. I grew up playing video games with him. He's not, he's not the son of God. All right. You got the wrong person. The last people to believe would be your cousin's. If you claimed to be God, if you weren't actually God, but here is the cousin of Jesus being like, that's him right there. My cousin right there. That's the son of God right there. That's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the one that I'm supposed to direct you to and point you to. That's the one that I'm just a voice for so that you look in his direction and stop looking at me. John knows my cousin is the son of God. If your family's convinced, that's a big deal. But who are you in relation to the Lord Jesus in this message? Are you the sort of person who, like John, regularly directs attention away from yourself and to Jesus? It's like, you know what? My life is just about making Jesus known. I don't want people to be looking this way. I want people to look at Jesus. The other characters, um, other than Jesus in this chapter, are all disciples. So we see the disciples as the 
passage continues on. Jesus calls the first two disciples who had been following John the Baptist. John was with his disciples as Jesus walks by, and John admits to them, that's the Lamb of God right there. It's the second time in the text that John says, behold the Lamb of God. This time it's to two of his own disciples who then leave John to follow after Jesus. And again, I love the selflessness of John here, the Baptist. I love that he's like, hey followers, that one that's walking by us right now, he's the one that you should be following, not me. I love that he's not trying to hold on to his own followers. He's not trying to build his own brand. He's not trying to increase the size of his own platform. He's trying to say, look at him. That's Jesus. Follow him. You should leave my side. You should follow after Jesus. And there are two disciples that are following John the Baptist who then leave him to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. We're given the name of one of them. One of them is named Andrew, the brother of Simon. And the other... Well, the Gospel of John doesn't tell us who it is. But if you take a look at the other Gospel accounts, those other Gospel accounts will tell you the identity of that second unnamed disciple in the Gospel of John. The person standing next to Andrew, who was a disciple of John the Baptist, was John, John the disciple. John, the one who wrote this gospel account. John, the dude whose name is on this book. That's the other disciple that was sitting, that was standing there next to John the Baptist, along with Andrew, who sees Jesus and follows after him. And this is, again, a beautiful testimony because John turns to follow after Jesus, and he thought so much of Jesus that he didn't even feel the need to name himself. And so he's like, there were two disciples there. There was Andrew, and then there was another guy. You don't need to worry about that other guy. That's beautiful. He doesn't want the attention to be focused on him. He doesn't want to be the sort of person that's even approaching name dropping. Oh yeah, and I was was there too. And Peter, you know, and Andrew, and Jesus was there. And he was like, yeah, you can follow me. And it was, he doesn't even name himself. Andrew understands who Jesus is. And so Andrew tells his brother, Simon, this is the Messiah. Again, that's the Hebrew word for anointed one. Christ is the Greek word for the anointed one. He is the one that we've been looking for and hoping for. He's the one whose appearance we've been praying for. He's the, ben, he's the one that's the hope of our nation and, and of the world. Simon, the Christ is here. You need to come see him. And so Peter follows after him and joins along with. And then Jesus sees Philip and Philip follows Jesus too. And Philip's from the same city as Andrew and Peter, and he understands who Jesus is as well. And he goes and gets Nathaniel, and he tells him, hey, this is the one that Moses was writing about in the law. This is the one that the prophets were talking about, that one that was going to be born and, and redeem his people from their sins. This is the one that we've been hoping for. Look, look, Nathaniel. But Nathaniel is skeptical at first. Nathaniel asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, Nazareth didn't have a bad reputation at this time. It was just a really small village that important people didn't come to, tend to arise from. It was just this kind of, it was this part of Israel that wasn't famous, that didn't have famous people coming out of it. It was just this small town. It would be like, I don't want to offend anybody here. I, I, I might have offended some people in the first service, so I was told to use a different, a different uh, city, so now I might offend other people. It would be like if, you, you know, if I were to come and tell you, you know, the Messiah is here, and you're like, where is he from? And I was like, from Chicago Ridge. And you'd be like, what in the world? Nothing comes from Chicago Ridge, and I got a Chicago Ridge's resident's approval to say that. He's like, you know what? Nothing comes out of Chicago Ridge. 
so you don't have to be mad at me. Chicago Ridge doesn't have a bad reputation. You're just like, no, if they're probably going to come from Chicago, not the Ridge part. You're like, no, the, no, the, no from this small group from Chicago Ridge from there. What good can come out of Chicago Ridge? <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop talking about Chicago Ridge in case we have other residents. But that's what Nathaniel says. He's like, Nazareth, you know that backwater town, that just small place? Like, what comes out of Nazareth? You've got some, like, you've got some humble carpenters there, and that's it. But I love the transformation that takes place in the story here. Jesus immediately demonstrates his power, and Nathaniel moves from skepticism to worship. Jesus says, oh yeah, Nathaniel, I know you already. I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree. And, and Jesus shows that he has miraculous knowledge because he had not been present there, but he had, he had perceived, he had known in a supernatural way about Nathaniel when he was sitting under the fig tree and Nathaniel perceives that and recognizes that and that's enough for him. And so he moves immediately from, man, what good can come out of Nazareth from this skepticism to worship? And he says, you are, he says, rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And I think that's beautiful. From skepticism to belief and worship and testifying to who Jesus is. So as you read this section of scripture, are you one of these disciples? The commitment of these disciples is remarkable, and it happens because each one of them has the same thing occur. They each meet Jesus, and in meeting Jesus, each one of those disciples is transformed. Immediately, the disciples decide that they're going to try to find others to just tell them about this one. I love the way that Philip does it. Philip goes and tells Nathaniel, Jesus from Nazareth, he's the one that the law and the prophets have been telling us about. He's the one that we've been waiting for. You need to come see him. And, and you know, Nathaniel says, what good can come from Nazareth and and Philip doesn't see the need to to like engage him in disputations he's like listen man listen just come and see just come and see who this Nazareth guy is just come and see who he is and he sees and in seeing he's transformed you've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema to learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.